You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. Today, we're going to be doing another book excerpt. This is from Volume 3 of the Zombie Terror War series, When the Stars Fell from the Sky. And I want to let you know that this episode of today's Leading and Learning is brought to you by that book, my novel, When the Stars Fell from the Sky. And if you've been following the series, as we said, this is number three in the series, and things continue to build. In volume three, the terrorists prepare for several large last-ditch attacks on American soil using the zombie virus as well as some other nice little surprises. Uh, the, the CDC enforcement as well as uh, other law enforcement have closed in. A number of the terrorists have been eliminated, but those that are left are determined to do as much damage as they possibly can. Now, let's get today's segment. Just to set the context for uh, this segment from When the Stars Fell from the Sky, uh, law enforcement has tracked the terrorists, at least a couple of them, to a safe house in Virginia. One of these terrorists that they know is holed up in this house is one of the terrorists who was responsible for the big attack in Volume 2. The other terrorist is a noted Iranian terrorist and bomb maker responsible for killing a lot of Americans in the Middle East, and now he's relocated to American soil. And the CDC enforcement agents who, remember, are all former military with special operations background or law enforcement with SWAT and other tactical unit background. And now they're moving in, in conjunction with SWAT teams, to take down these bad guys. Springfield, Virginia, Friday, 0130 hours. The CDC officers and the SWAT team relocated to the elementary school on Franconia Road, less than a mile from their target location on Hyam Drive. A Fairfax County officer had radioed in that the white van was parked in the driveway next to an identical Astro van. The tag on the second vehicle was registered to the same Islamic charity. There were no lights on in the residence. Eddie and Sergeant Moore had gone to the Fairfax County Courthouse to get the search warrant from the on-call judge. The police officers at the school talked quietly and checked their equipment as they waited. The local SWAT officers knew that their role would be to support the federal officers, but they were fine with that. Four SWAT snipers were already in place, watching the front and rear of the residence through their night vision scopes. Sergeant Moore's police cruiser turned into the parking lot of the school and drove around to the rear where the officers waited. Eddie got out of the passenger door holding some papers. Everyone circled around the big man, ready to get briefed and to go to work. At 0215 hours, it was time. Two and his team 
were in place at the rear of the house. They had driven in with their lights off and parked on Elm Street, the next street over from the target location. Then they quietly made their way through the neighbor, neighboring yards and into position. Walker's and Marshall's CDC teams loaded into a white box truck with the rest of the SWAT force at the elementary school. When Trang radioed and said that they were in position in the backyard, Eddie gave the order to move. The unmarked truck pulled up and stopped one house shy of the suspect address in less than two minutes. Jay rolled up the door as softly as he could, and the heavily armed men walked quickly towards the residence. The SWAT officers fanned out and assumed cover positions around the house. Both the front and the rear CDC elements had a SWAT breacher with them. Both men were carrying heavy metal door battering rams that would assure a fast entrance. The goal was for both front and rear teams to enter the house at the same time. Sensor lights prevented that from happening. As Eddie and the other officers approached the front door, they were suddenly bathed in light as two spotlights were activated. Without hesitating, Eddie hit transmit on his radio. We're compromised. Make entry now. Inside the safe house, Usama Hussan Zayed was awake instantly, reaching for the 9mm Browning high-power pistol he kept beside the bed. He used the room at the front of the house because the Iman often spent the night there and used a rear bedroom. Zayed could react faster to protect him if he was in the front bedroom. Now he realized that it was he, whom, he himself who needed to be protected. His senses had been trained by years of fighting and fleeing American forces. Zayed listened. It could have just been a neighborhood dog setting the sensor lights off. No, he heard footsteps now. Muffled voices and then, We're compromised. Make entry now. Hasim was sleeping on the couch in the living room. He was another prison convert but had proven faithful and loyal. His primary job was to make sure that Terrell Hill did not leave before the Iman allowed it. Once Hill had been given a job, Hasim would make sure that Terrell completed his assignment. He also provided security for the safe house. Maybe he can slow them down, Osama thought. A loud crashing came from the front of the residence and then another from the rear. Two explosions rocked the residence. Flashbang grenades, the terrorist recognized. The Americans loved to use those. He was shielded from the full effects of the blast inside his bedroom. Hasim might not be so lucky out in the living room. Usama instinctively knew that he was surrounded. Even escape through the window would be futile, as he guessed that more law enforcement was surrounding the house, watching and waiting. This was Allah's will. He had fought the infidels for many years. Maybe he could kill a few more before they killed him. The SWAT breacher with Eddie's and Jay's team slammed the metal battering, metal battering ram into the front door, shattering the frame and opening the door on the first strike. Every breacher's goal was a one-strike entry. Eddie tossed the flashbang inside and then turned away from the entrance. As soon as it exploded, he was in, the muzzle of his suppressed M4 leading the way, the flashlight illuminating the hall in front of him. Marshall could see another hallway up to the left and what was probably the living room straight ahead. The flash and crack of another grenade went off in that area. Police officer, search warrant, he yelled, putting those inside the residence on notice as the law required. To their right was a dining area and another doorway that appeared to lead into the, that appeared to lead into the kitchen. 
Jay and his three officers peeled off to the right and cleared the kitchen and circled around towards the living room. The deafening blast of a shotgun rang out just from just in front of Walker in the living room. Two had thrown his stun grenade through the back door after it was smashed open. It had exploded on the opposite side of the room from Hasim and only slowed him down momentarily. Trang and his team burst into the living room from the rear door just as Hasim fired his Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun down the front hallway towards Eddie and his team. Trang heard a loud grunt from that direction and brought his rifle up. Movement to his left, he recognized Jay coming into the living room from the kitchen. The big black man with a shotgun racked the slide, ejecting the spent shell and loading another one. He tried to swing the Mossberg towards the new threats behind him. Before he could get off a second shot, Jay and two both fired, striking Hasim in the torso and head with 5.56 millimeter rounds. As Walker's and Trang's teams kept moving forward, Trang fired one more shot into the downed gunman's head. Smoke and the smell of cordite filled the air. Eddie had felt the heat of the shotgun blast go by him and heard Jimmy groan in pain. He heard the shots from the living room and saw the muzzle flashes lighting up the dark house. Marshall peeked down the hallway to his left and saw a figure sticking his head out of a doorway, ten feet down, and then pointed, and then a pistol rising towards him. Everything slowed down, but Eddie felt like he had to move faster. The gun was almost pointed at him now. Marshall sighted on the man's forehead and fired two shots. A red mist hung in the air as Osama Hassan Zayed fell to the floor, dead. Marshall kept his rifle pointed down the hallway. There were three more closed doors that would have to be checked. Status report, he called over his shoulder. One tango down in the living room, Walker said. And I've got one down in a doorway from first room on the left. I think it's Osama, said Eddie. Jimmy, are you okay? I'm hit. My vest stopped most of it, but I may have a cracked rib, the assistant team leader answered, the pain evident in his voice. Go out and get the SWAT medic to check you. I'm fine, Eddie. That's an order, Jimmy. We've got plenty of officers to clear the rest of the house. Go. Jimmy turned and left the residence. The crashing sounds, the explosions, the loud voices announcing the presence of the police, and then the sound of gunfire woke Terrell up. He threw himself off of the bed and ducked behind it between the bed and the wall. He did not have a weapon and his bedroom was an interior one without any windows. Oh man, they were coming to get him. What should he do? He wondered. If he gave himself up, they would give him the death penalty. He would go back to prison for ten years before they finally strapped him to a gurney and killed him. Maybe I could get the police to kill me, he thought. He had never thought about suicide before. At least this way, he said to himself, I can go out as a warrior. Anything was better than going back to prison and then being executed like an animal. Estrada and Rogers quickly cleared the room that Osama had come out of and then the one across the hall from it. Eddie, with Hollywood and Chris behind him, was about to turn the doorknob of the next room when the door was flung open and Terrell Hill threw himself out into the hallway. A less experienced officer would have shot Hill then and there, but taking him alive was important if they could do it. Marshall quickly saw that the terrorist did not have anything in his hands and was not an immediate threat. He swung the stock of his rifle into Hill's face, snapping his head back and ripping open his cheek. Terrell staggered but did not go down. He drew back his right hand to punch the big federal officer, but Eddie was faster, stepping in with an elbow strike that impacted on the bridge of his nose breaking it and knocking him into the wall. 
As a bloody, Terrell Hill slid down the wall to a sitting position. Eddie drove a knee into his face to make sure he stayed down, the terrorist head smashing through the sheetrock of the hallway wall. Alejandro and Chris grabbed the unconscious man, handcuffed him, and searched him. They dragged him towards the front door. Jay and his team moved up to help Eddie finish clearing the house. Well, I hope you enjoyed this exciting excerpt from When the Stars Fell from the Sky. If you like action-packed thriller-type novels, I encourage you to check these out. Uh, Fun stories, a little bit of romance thrown in. Um, As I said last one, there's also a little bit of a spiritual element in there, but I wasn't really trying to write Christian novels, just trying to tell good stories and have a good time. So check those out. The, uh, The link will be in the show notes. And uh, if you want to just an easy place to find all my resources, go to davidspell.com. And up at the top of the page is a, a little button that says books. And that takes you right to my Amazon authors page. And you can check all of them out. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. And I'll see you next time on Leading and Learning.